Hello. Hey, how's it going? It's good. I got a beer. I'm sitting. I'm done work. It's good. How about you? Uh, pretty much the same thing. Perfect. This is a good start then. Um, is this podcast going to be kind of like a um, a sequel to Podcast 20, the last one, pretty much? Uh, uh, I think maybe a little bit because there's... I, I, I wanted to talk to you about uh, a number of, of things that you brought up. Um, so there's an extent to which I guess there's a continuation of the previous podcast. But as, as with all of these, I think that we will probably wander off into other territory. Perfect. I'm into it. Uh, yeah, that the last podcast, it was almost like there should have been someone else there. But this is perfect now. So yeah. um, we can start anywhere. Really, okay. I want I want to start with with a question right off the bat. Let's because, do it. Um, I'm I'm dying to know what you guys are calling natural rocker. What does that mean? It's actually a term. If you look it up, um, it's where oh man, it's where the th- every wheel is in a different position. I'm trying to. You can Google it, and it comes up on a. Let me Google it. Um, flat setups generally wear into a natural rocker. Does Wikipedia count? Oh my God. Are you kidding me? Okay. Wait, I'll go the next one down. Um, oh, so there's a picture here that says 77, 80. So back wheel, 77, uh, Second, third wheel, wheel, 80, second wheel, 78, and front wheel, 71, which is pretty drastic. The frame, the natural rocker isn't as drastic as that, but it's basically four different heights. And it's to mimic the way that um, a a flat setup, not a rockered setup, would wear when your flat setup is worn in really nice. Um, Okay. Just as an observation, that sounds to me like because I was I was rotating wheels on a frame, not that I skate, but a frame to to do an experiment because of something that we can talk about in a minute. But what that sounds like to me is a setup that creates the first three wheels tilted when your foot is tilted forward. The first three wheels will be in contact, and then for turning purposes, you basically rock back onto your heel, and you're only on the last two wheels, so wheels three and four. Um, Does that sound like what it's doing? Or, or that no? sounds like what it feels like. I know um, it feels a little bit more sticky than uh, like a more severe rocker, but it doesn't feel as sticky as a flat setup. So um, I would say that's true. I haven't actually looked at the visual down at my foot, um, but I believe that's what it's doing. I know um, there's this show called Dragon's Den. Do you know where the people pitch oh, entrepreneurial I'm, ideas? I'm aware, I'm aware of that. Yeah, there was actually um, there was a like a figure skating instructor or something like that who got them to invest in a similar idea where it was a and then there might be one other too where it's the same idea and I don't know if it's called natural rocker it may have had a different name but it was the same idea. Okay. In terms of the wheel placement. Okay. I had I had a kind of a, a mind bending experience earlier this week, 
There's a guy on one of the, and this is this is about rockers, so we're still on the same topic. Yeah. Um, a guy posted on one of the Facebook, uh, you know, blade trade outpost one one of the one of the outposts blader trader deals, you know, uh, a picture of some hockey frames. I think they were hockey frames. They may have been UFS. They may not have been. I don't remember that particular detail. But the setup, as far as I can tell, the holes for the axles for the wheels were parallel to the ground, right? So they weren't drilled at different heights. Uh, they did not have um, any kind of spacers to to rocker them with with spacers. Um, but according to this guy, the frames were rockerable, and the way that you do that is by because you know on a hockey skate it steps up for the heel. Yeah. So there's room for a bigger wheel under the heel, same as a speed skate or whatever. So to accomplish a a flat setup in those skates, um, you run. Oh, now I'm confusing myself. It sounded like the setup was two bigger wheels in the back, so like two 80s in the back, so in three and four 80s, and then one and two were like 76s. Whoa, so it was, unless it was a high-low, high-low is really popular in roller hockey, and then K2 also uses high-low. I think racers use it, too. No, no, no. So the two smaller wheels, the 276s, are in space one and two. Whoa, so it's, you're on, it makes you go on your heels a lot of the time, except for, wait, how would that work? That would feel right, okay, real. Okay, so th- this, is, this is what I thought. I thought about it. And it, and it occurred to me, and this is this is why it was a mind-bending experience. And I thought, wow, that will accomplish exactly uh, a perfect rocker because it'll let you roll on your back two, your middle two, and your front two, right? Yeah. And instead of putting the two bigger wheels in the middle, you have the back two are big and the front two are are smaller. Um, but I tried it with a frame, and it doesn't work when you have two eighties in the back and two seventy sixes in the front. And everything is brand new, and everything is you know drilled. All the whole axle holes are parallel to the to the ground. What you wind up with is a rocker that tilts back, so you can be on wheels three and four tilted back on your heel. And if you tilt forward to skate forward, you're basically on a tri rocker setup because the second wheel position doesn't touch the ground. Unless so the first one is worn out more. Is is way worn out more, which it will if 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 you're skating that setup. So eventually. Um, you will get wheel one, and then increasing in size to two, increasing in size to three, and then decreasing in size back to four. So when you're in a forward sort of power stride, um, you know, to generate speed and to chase after a puck or whatever, um, you have basically three down in the front, and then when you need to sort of lean back to make a turn, you basically rock back onto one or both feet, onto those back two wheels to make those turns. And what's fascinating about that is if you watch people who skate anti-rocker and they need to make a turn, they will make a turn by doing a training wheel-looking roll, if that makes sense. So one foot is flat on the ground, and the other wheel goes up on the heel, and you guide yourself by steering that heel wheel similar to the way that a bicycle turns. Yeah, that's also a pivot in slalom. That's a basic. Right, okay. But but you see guys who and and, and gals who who skate um, anti rocker using that turn, 
And you can almost predict that you will see that turn. And this is everybody. This is Haffy. This is Brosco. This is everybody does this. Um, and if you if you watch people who skate flat, they really don't ever do that maneuver unless they're really in a pinch, like they're trying to turn around a corner or there's a car coming, you know, or or, or there's a, a wall that they have to avoid. It's 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 rare uh, to see a flat rockered or rockered skater. Um, doing that training wheel kind of turn where you lift up the heel, lift up onto your heel to make, you know, to accomplish that turn. Yeah. But that's, that's really, really strange to me because, um, one for, for, for grinding that has the, 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 uh, the two small wheels in the front, two small, two bigger wheels in the back, um, gives you a sort of a kind of a rocker setup or, or a rocker setup, but it's, it's sort of different from normal, I guess, or different from how I do it. Um, and different from how hockey skates used to come. Um, but what it would do is, like Tri-Rocker, it allows you to have a smaller wheel in one of the two middle positions so that um, you do get a couple of millimeters back of, of your grinding space, which goes all the way back predating the split frame in rollerblading. Tri-Rocker does. Yeah, but so does this sort of too small in the front, too big in in the back. You know, it it widens the gap by at least a millimeter or two, because the the you have the small instead of running the big wheels in the middle like I do, right? I run fifty four, fifty six, fifty six, fifty four. Yeah, and and that's that's been my setup since I don't know when. On my Facebook about page, it's actually my religion. <laughs> what religion am I? It just says 54, 56, 56, 54. I never looked at that. Does it matter, like, the hardness for your religion? The hardness of wheels? Uh, for me, it's got to be 88 or, or lower. Um, okay. But I don't I don't skate a lot of street these days, so I don't need much hardness. Okay. Plus, a lot of the skate parks here in Colorado are really slick, and if you had, like, 90s or above, you would just you would just fall everywhere. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so... On the on the wizard frames, just to sort of finish out this thought, um, those frames have what you guys are calling, or what is called, a natural rocker, and that is accomplished by drilling the holes at different heights relative to the ground. Yeah, is that correct? Yeah, and okay. then uh, Leon would have to talk. There might be a lean. No, that might actually just be. No, I think it's just the holes at different points. Okay. Yeah. Because there's quite a heel lift on it. It's about that because the setup that I that I skate is really based off of the old Bauer um, skate, which had a two and a half millimeter rock, with the middle two down and the outside two out. Yeah, is what I'm more or less trying to accomplish with my setup every time. Um, two two millimeter rocker. Yeah, but that's from the diameter, right? Yeah. So it's really only a one mil rocker. Yeah, which I think is good. Because, um, which bow like uh, Bauer hockey? Yeah. Well, that frame came on everything. In fact, it came on it came on all the Bauer skates, uh, right up through whatever those two uh, aggressive models were that they had. That was the basically the F three boot with a kind of a sole plate that was bizarre. Um, and then it had an undercarriage bridge grind plate, um, but it was on that same frame. If anybody remembers Bauer skates, 
there's really only one frame that came on him. Wow, I had a pair of Bowers. Um, I wouldn't have known that then. So that was because of their hockey background, they would have made a, a rockered frame. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then the, 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 the interesting thing, though, and I actually know this, um, the, the Rex skates came rockered flat. Oh, shit. I had a pair of Bowers, so I wonder if without even knowing, I learned uh, pre-aggressive skating on a rockered setup without even knowing. Well, they were, so they, they basically, when they come from the factory, they come flat. They come with the spacers. So the middle two go out or in, and the, uh, or sorry, 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 sorry. The outside two go out or in, and the middle two go up or down. When the middle two are in the up position, they're flat with the outside two. Does that make sense? Wait, wait, one sec. If you take the spacers, the two, the two center wheels, yeah, right, so wheels two and three. If you take the spacers and and put them in the up rocker position, yeah, those center two wheels will be flat with the outside two wheels. Okay, yes. So then, if you happen to know how it works, or you play hockey and everybody on your team does it, or however it was, you will know to flip those round upside down move them down the two mil and accomplish a rocker. But the skates, especially, I know for a fact that the skates came uh, flat when you bought them. But to rocker them, you would have to take out the middle two wheels, flip the flip the spacers around, and then put the wheels back in. Okay, yeah, I do remember that. It was just that my dog was losing her mind um, and still is. One Maybe second. Are there burglars? Okay, she got the spray bottle to the head. Uh-oh. Yeah. My dog has been acting up today, too. I don't know what's going on. Uh, I don't know if you believe in any of that full moon stuff, but I know I know it's coming. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with no. I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what any of that full moon stuff is, but I'm going to go with no. I don't believe in it. Uh, it's just fun to say. Um, okay, there's more to talk about with Rocker because, um, one, we probably talked about this, but... There's not even any frames available that you can rocker. Not true. Oh, which one? Oh, slimline? The Kaiser slimline is rockerable. It is. Was Pointless that... though it may be, because the split is so tremendous that and that if you put a larger wheel in there to rocker down, uh, you would get wheel bites so bad. Um, and I've tried this because I got a pair from a guy in Austin a while ago. Um, for the sole purpose that they are a the longest production frame available, and two or B, I can't remember which I said, uh, they are rockerable. But the groove's too big. The groove is way too big. Did they fix that on the most recent version? I'm unaware of any solution. I just I don't know. Oh, uh, and then they have done. I don't know. The reason that I'm you know uh, swooning over the Kaiser wow. Element frame. Uh, which which I want to give a plug real fast. I get uh, it now. Hedden Skate in Poland, uh, run by Merrick, um, carries them now. Like uh, old ones? Like the old stock? I don't, or... where, I don't know if he found a box of them in his attic, or if he bought a box of them, or if he got them from somewhere. I don't know where they came from, but he has them in stock, and their online store says that they have many. Really? So me and my roommate bought two pairs... Uh, earlier today because <laughs> uh that was actually the first thing that i wanted to talk about with you was that i didn't i didn't get it 
Um, I may have touched on this or almost got to this point in the last podcast, but I totally understand how the Kaiser element is one of your favorite frames now. Um, oh, yeah, and and I now have I think because after the one podcast where I where I begged the audience, if anybody knows if you have any, get in touch with me. I'll buy them from you. Whole bunch of people got in touch with me, and I now have like five or six pairs with two more on the way. So I may not ever have to change frames for the rest of my life. That's awesome until something possibly better comes out. But um, that design now, what what's really funny is that I can imagine um, now that I've tried the bigs, I got to try the bigs a little bit more. Like I just got them, mm-hmm. and now that I've tried the wizard frame with the natural rocker, I want basically a Kaiser element with with a uh, natural rocker or rockerable spacers um that you could run a little bit bigger of a wheel in and that's that's my aggressive frame that's what i want the the virtue to me of the of the design of that frame is number one um it is it has the biggest split i've ever seen i have i have fairly large hands and if i set my thumb flat against uh my index finger to make my hand as wide as i possibly can um, the 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 gap between the two center wheels is the same as that width. So I've got a measuring tape here. My hand is about four and three quarter inches wide, and I'm going to say that that gap is right around four and a half or four and three quarters. Wow! But I want this is this is the catch. The gap in the in the Kaiser slimline is roughly the same. However. The groove that comes in it is maybe ha- a third that big, and there's a f- you because you can the 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 um, H block can flip up or, uh, up or down, and if you want the big big wide channel, you ride anti rocker, and if you want to ride flat or rockered, um, you flip it upside down, and it works like those old ground control frames that had the flat blocks and then the groove. Yeah. So basically the middle profile is like your wheel, you know, comes down at a radius to where it intersects the frame. It's got a big flat for like an inch and a half. And then there's a groove and then there's another inch and a half flat and then your other wheel starts. So you don't get the wheel bite that you get with um with like, you know, ground control or um create originals. Um I haven't got on board with any of the kind of uh, undercarriage style like like Caltic and the new Bigs um, because those frames just aren't long enough for me to even bother with. They're like ten inches long or ten and they're they're actually they're all they're all right around ten and two tenths of an inch, which is just about ten and a quarter. Um, and my Kaisers are like way bigger than that. The elements like, are long too. The, yeah, the elements are like eleven and a quarter. Uh, and this is where, like, uh, I realized you were you were ahead of the game, um, because running rockered in a long frame, you get every and with a big split, but no yeah. wheel bite, you get everything you could possibly want. Except, except, and I and I and I swear to God, people are going to call me an old an old fogey or whatever. But if I had the ability to put grind plates back on my skates, I would do it. Oh, real? Oh, because of uh, just I think. Sur- that, surface well that yeah and that also totally eliminates the possibility of wheel bike because when you're on the grind plate 
the grind plate, the old Senate aluminums, for instance, were about three eighths of an inch thick, and you get effectively 75% more um, uh, get, split basically because you're raising your wheels higher off the, the pipe or the coping or the ledge or whatever. Um, so if, if you remember conic sections from high school geometry, what you're basically doing is taking, taking a, a swath at the wheel at an angle so that you're touching the wheel on the way, way bottom part of the radius. So your wheel profile is effectively a, a 35 millimeter wheel rather than a 60 or whatever you're riding because you're holding your foot at an angle and you're raising it up off of the, the, the pipe or the coping or the ledge or whatever. I didn't even so think about that. It, we talked about it once on this. It may have been, it may have been with Todd. I can't remember. No, I, no, I think we did. Um, but is that just the long bolt issue then? Um, well, there, there has never been made a grind plate that would fit the Kaiser element frame. It's just way too big. I mean, it's, it's like, it's like 50% bigger than the Senate wides used to be. And are we talking metal or, uh, what are we talking? What material do you want? If someone's listening and they're going to build you one. Oh, aluminum all day, aluminum all day. Because yeah. I, I skate, I skate mostly, um, skate parks. Colorado has such a tremendous number of wonderful, wonderful, amazing skate parks and coping for miles that you would be a fool. And, and, and then there's all the, the skateboarders and everybody else who, you know, has a hissy fit about waxing and stuff like that. So, yeah. And, and also it's just a lovely sound. I feel like a lot of us grew up with that sound and it's I've beautiful. been missing it for years. Um, what about, would you experiment with, uh, if someone custom made, um, uh, aluminum H block to go in your Kaiser elements? What about something like that? You know, I should probably go buy two uh, bullet, billets or whatever they're called. What are those things called? Bullion? Is it a bullion cube? I guess oh. that's if it's money. Bullions, isn't that soup? Uh, yeah. I don't know if it's spelled the same. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm, I have many qualifications, but spelling is not one of them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but you would try that. Yeah, I actually have. I actually, as a as a project that I've been meaning to get around to, I have a pair of uh, King Fifty Fives. I have two brand new pairs of King Fifty Fives, and I have one pair that's basically trash. And the pair that's trash, I want to cut the frame off of and use, um, and basically make into a UFS frame, and ride them with one of the three sets of aluminum H-blocks that I have for those. You, oh shit. You have, wait, you have yeah. aluminum H-blocks? Yes. The For the K2 frame. The old uh, King 55 style points, Bob. The 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 hang down H-block. Yeah. You know, one that sort of is a, is a prototype, if you will, for the Kaiser frame. Yeah. Uh, they made those in aluminum. And... Um, about 10 years ago, Jake Barnes and I were on a rampage to find as many pairs of King 55s as we could and as many of the aluminum H blocks as we could. Um, and he is like a eBay wizard and just like, I don't know how, I don't know how he spends his days, but, um, he, he, he knows within minutes, like, like, I don't even know, like a, like a, like a psychic, you know, like he, like he can smell it in the air, like someone, 
someone has someone has posted on eBay a pair of size 11 King, 11 and a half King 55s. <laughs> and so um he and I bought a whole bunch of those. Um about it was about 10 years ago. Um and he found someone somewhere who um who who had like a box he he called some shop and it was like a sun and ski sports or something like that. I don't know if y'all had that in, in Canada. No. Uh, it was just like a, like a, like, do you have like uh Oshman's or sports authority or Dick's or any of those? Uh, played against sports uh, and, um, sport check and sport mark. Okay. I'm, I'm thinking like a, like a, like a, like a target sized sports store. Like okay. A, yeah. That would be like sport mark then back in sport the day. Mart. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he called, so sun and ski sports was similar to that. Except that it didn't carry like baseball and football and so on. It was like skis and surfboards and wakeboards and rollerblades and hockey skates and skateboards and bikes and cruiser bikes and all that kind of crap. Um, vaguely, you know, the action sports type of stuff. But they also tend to have, um, you know, frisbee golf and bocce ball and lawn darts and all that other kind of stuff. Anyway... They're, they're, they were a big chain of, of sports stores that catered to that kind of uh, demographic uh, in the U.S. And he called a shop because they had it on their website, advertising that they had it in stock. And he called the manager and said, how many of those do you have? And he's like, well, I think there's a big box in the back. And he's like, go get the box, and I will pay you what you want, and you will mail me the box. Um, and he did, and he got it. And uh, I was able to to bribe off of him uh, two sets and I already had one set already. So I don't know how many he has or how many he still has, if he has any. Um, but he had some number of them and I was able to prize from his fingers, uh, two brand new pairs, neither of which have ever been skated before. And both of which are sitting in their original K2 box with all of the, 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 the packaging and everything still intact. Oh, that's so badass! I... So, to answer your question, um, <laughs> aluminum H block on a on a Kaiser element frame would be uh, lovely. And now, what I don't understand still, these did retail then because I don't remember them being uh, popular or discussed, or was it a vert thing or a park thing? I don't remember them. I don't remember seeing them in pictures very often in Daily Bread. Like, how many of these would have been made? I don't have any idea. I'd have to ask somebody who, who was in uh, at K2 at the time. But, um, you know, keep in mind that there was such huge budgets back then for all kinds of stuff that things were made and marketed, and it didn't even reach certain audiences. Um, I mean, I, I own a pair of the um, USD Legacy Skates, which are truly one of the most amazing skates ever made in terms of its um, uh, customi customization, customability, um, whatever you like. Yeah. You can move just about every single part of the skate. You can move the Royale forward or back. You can move the sole plates in or out, forward or back. Um, there's various holes for various straps that can be moved. Uh, the only thing that was absurd about it was that it had an aluminum cuff. Oh, yeah, it did. Wasn't it, it was all aluminum, or was it just, I thought it was just like aluminum supports. 
No, no, that support came around the back like a like a kind of a half cuff, and then the second half of the cuff was an upper cuff uh, that bolted onto that piece of metal. Um, and and I don't understand it at all. It, like I don't understand it. There's 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 edits of Carlos Pianowski doing gnarly shit. And I don't understand how it was meant to be at all. Was that just like I wonder if it was just someone in marketing like what's the stiffest material we can use to make a cuff or maybe carlos wanted that i always wonder i would love to sit in on some of those meetings on how that shit gets made yeah i would i would too um the richards are the really sexy looking ones in my opinion and they were black and red um and they had the action leather and they were really really nice looking skates but they also had um had uh, uh the metal cuffs oh that whole model did there was a richard there was a carlos there was a team uh, and I don't know if there were any other versions, but I know that at least those three existed. I'm pretty sure uh, Demetrius. Demetrius. Oh, yeah, that's probably uh, likely. That's yeah, probably. Well, and I'm pretty sure he killed it in them too. I probably think he, he skated those in FOR three, mm-hmm. and um, I remember him being very, very solid. Um, like where maybe he he wore his ankle a little bit loose, but it still had enough support side to side because the cuff yeah. was stiff. Um, well, this, this is a point that I'd like to make, and it will tie into a point that we can either jump to now or come back to later on. But yeah. um, it's it's a real shame to me that at the time when uh, rollerblading had the economic resources to do the most customization uh, and offer that customization on the skates, no one cared. And now, when we're two, you know, a decade and a half after um the 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 heyday uh all those all those things are gone and people are just now coming around to wanting to try all these crazy things in mass i mean i'm talking lots of people are trying to skate flat now trying to skate rockered now um and that ties in with a couple of points uh that you made in your in the previous podcast one of which is are we getting smarter are we more mature because according to what you said, uh, the demographic seems to be the age demographic seems to be over 25 by and large. Um, and then you also were talking about uh, uh, the 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 how how as a result of having skated big wheels now for for quite some time, you feel, uh, and I think that genuinely you are empirically better at skating in the edits that I've seen. Um, and it's, and, and you attributed that improvement in your, in your, uh, technique or ability or, or whatever, uh, to having, having skated those, those bigger wheels, um, and the natural rocker. And that all to me speaks to the same theme and it all points to me to the same tragedy, which is that when we had the ability to do all this, when we had giant corporations being able to make aluminum H blocks and not really even market them. Uh, nobody cared. Everybody wanted to skate, Senate, Anna Rocker, you know, medium wheels, whatever it was, um, with USD thrones, with frames that were too long or too short, and nobody gave a shit about, you know, how what their setup actually was. And Anna Rocker was just fine. Um, and, and now we want to try that stuff out, and everybody's having to pick through the boneyard of history um, to try to put together these experiments to to 
you know, find what setup they want. It is nice, though, I will say, because we do have we do have this nice kind of uh, water world. If anybody remembers that movie, or or uh, um, what was the other one? Um, I just like that you'd said water world. You know, do you remember the water world? Kevin Costner terrible movie where they're like they're making jet skis out of like you know bird cages and fucking whatever else they could find it's like people people are, are there's this, this huge graveyard of skates that are out there in the world in people's garages in people's attics basements uh it's some of which are probably still in the trunks of people's cars uh in boxes wherever and people are unearthing these things and making these franken skates bolting together all kinds of crazy stuff and I think that that's really, really neat, um, but it's also it's also kind of a, a sign of a tragedy because we're having to do this now because we don't have the economic support to just tell the companies, "Hey, will you make us this thing?" Yeah, and so, I, but it. Oh, go ahead. Uh, just the spirit of it is very encouraging, but the reality of it is is kind of gruesome. I wonder if it was. Um... Like they were, there were people who were skating every day that skated for these companies, who were the absolute best killers at skating, especially some people at um, K2 and Solomon. And then you combine that with some of these engineers that were making the best shit. Um, that most of the demographic would have been not the top skaters. It just would have been a bunch of teenagers uh, that wanted to be cool or skate whatever was cool so yeah we gave into a lot of marketing crap i did personally i i know i still bought a lot of stuff and tried a lot of stuff but i didn't think about how my skates felt or how i wanted them to feel not even until i was like um i don't know 23 or 24 is when i really started trying to think more about how i wanted my skates to feel and then now that I feel like I'm just starting to figure it out a little bit more and I'm fucking 32 and then there's so much shit where I was like, Oh man, I don't know if I just wasted a bunch of years in the wrong skates or, um, or if I should have bought this skate. I mean, even just Solomon and K2 in their prime, how good those skates were. Well, this, this is a point that we'll circle back to, but, I, I would I would want to emphasize um, a, a rather optimistic attitude about that, which is that you know give yourself a little bit of credit, man. You wanted to you wanted to be lining up and skating those ledges, and you did that for years, and you loved it. It's true. And when you said in your last podcast that uh, you feel like your identity changes either from the movements or from dopamine or as a kind of a quasi religious experience that you are a different man after you skate than before you skate. And yeah. I don't know how long, because uh, you didn't say much else about that, but I don't know how long that's supposed to last, according to Joe or Joey McGarry. Um, but I, I I, do think that you you have to give yourself credit because you were there, even if you were 15, and you have to give yourself, have a little bit more respect for yourself, man. You wanted to fucking wear those baggy pants, and you wanted to fucking grind those ledges, and that's what you did, and good for you. Yeah, I believed. I still do. You don't do. want to look back at yourself and think, God, I was an idiot. No, you weren't. You were doing just fine. You were doing just fine. I know. I said that, too. I was, like, you know, waddling up to the launch ramp and barely 
gapping to the down part and touching my boots. It was really fun. Of course it was. Still is, but it's but it's uh yeah, it was the point also when I was talking about uh, that that we're 25 and up that we most of us can pull up to a skate park now and hit almost every object at it. Yeah. And it was amazing to think that we we didn't even really have most rollerbladers in the world didn't even know how to skate a full park. I mean, there's people who grew up with Woodward or amazing indoor parks, but most of us, if we got to a skate park in in the mid '90s, we would just find the ledge and right. line up. Well, I'm glad I'm glad that you brought up Woodward because, um, as as a random fluke thing, I called a guy named Mike Falcone uh, this week, and it happened to be his son's two year old birthday, and we had time for a quick chat, um, and. It was really strange to speak to him because he's one of my good friends from back in the day, and we've he's moved on. Uh, he's I mean he lives in um, outside of Philadelphia someplace. Um, he's got a wife and two kids, and they've got a house that they just bought, and he's got his job and she's got her job, and the kids do their thing. Um, and he has been largely out of rollerblading for quite a while now. I would say many years. Um, to the, to the extent that he's only walked the dog a few times in the last couple of years, and that's all the rollerblading that he's done. Um, but he himself is a very talented guy, and he was one of the inline directors for Woodward back in the sort of heyday of Woodward rollerblading. Um, and there was a huge rift back then about uh, park skating and riding flat, and why would you come to Woodward, which is park camp, uh, to skate on anti-rocker skates, to not have enough speed to jump the jump box, um, so on and so forth. And you get that big, you know, rift between flat and anti-rocker. And the, the, the problem that, the, that I saw even then uh, was, was a problem of, of fairness because you're talking about guys who are counselors or visiting pros and some of whom are professional park skaters Bear in mind, this is when ASA was the main thing, uh, or one of the main things. Um, and you're comparing, you know, Sean Robertson or someone like that who rides, you know, four down flat against some kid who's like 12 clacking around on his clacky anti-rocker skates and can't jump the jump box. And that's really, really unfair because there weren't a whole lot of, um, you know, Brian Aragon types who can skate twice as fast as you in Andy Rocker, who can, you know, jump twice as high as you, who can, you know, bring more power and more everything in Andy Rocker. Um, and, and there's, there's a lot of it that has to do with another thing that you brought up in your last podcast, which is fundamentals. Um, and some people having the ability, um, of, of varying quality, Eric Bailey, uh, Alex Brosco, Jeff Stockwell, who can skate, anti-rocker and make it difficult for an onlooker to discern whether he's flat or not yeah so it's 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 really unfair that and this isn't this isn't a dig at mike falcone he was just there when all this was going on that that there are many things that flat rocker is good for fundamentals are one of them uh grinding has varying success depending on ability, depending on experience, depending on a number of a number of things. Um, but the fact is, plenty of people have demonstrated from from Haffy all the way through, uh, you know, 
Chris Farmer and Brian Aragon and loads and loads of other guys uh, that you can do anything that you want on anti-rocker skates if you're good enough. So it's not a simple question of whether one is better than the other, whether one is better for one person or another. It's a very, very complicated set of things that go into making that performance uh, exquisite or miserable. And looking at a 12-year-old kid who's clacking around on his, you know, really shitty, really badly put together, really badly designed uh, setup, trying to jump a jump box and can't, and say, look, he, you know, he can't, he can't jump the jump box because he's got any rocker, and I can because uh, I've got flat, is just totally a logical fallacy and, and should, be, should be lampooned as such. Yeah, I agree. And I think uh, if that kid, let's just say, give him um, just for the day or maybe a couple days, be his coach or something like that and be like, use this, uh, put this 80 millimeter frame on your boot and just cruise around the park um, and just get a feel for the park. Don't worry about grinds. Just... Just try and go around going fast, keep your speed, and then go back to your clackers, and you might understand your clackers more. Or you See, might. But, but 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 this is this is uh this is the the goodwill hunting quote the 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 pick the wrench because fuck you right. Um, this is the thing. You you were for years, and you were just talking about this. You were clacking around in whatever skates you were clacking around in, not being able to jump the jump box with your baggy pants, lining up to skate the ledge like everybody else. And if some asshole came and said, listen, you kid, I know better than you. You're going to put on these giant wheels and you're going to roll around and not grind. And you would say, fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> and exactly what everybody said. And but nothing wrong with that. I know. But some kind of a blade elder, like uh, we all started on rec skates and most of us, a lot of us, second generation people started on rec skates and then we took out the middle wheels and put cryptonics in or whatever like we started with basic uh skating skills so i wonder if um i don't know another mentor came in like what would it take some kind of a blade elder someone who you wouldn't who you wouldn't want to say fuck you to someone who was who came up to you and said seriously you should just try this no see because i I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't feel that way. I, I, I feel like if, if Arlo Eisenberg would have drove out to my house and told me to do that, I still would have said, no, man, no, that's stupid. You know why? Because I know why. Because all the guys who I watch, who I think are dope, don't fucking do that. It's true. If those guys, if those guys were doing it, which they weren't, which they would never have done back then, then I would have tried it. Yeah. There but was, there was oh. enough people. I looked up to Tom Fry in the very beginning. And he rode like 54 millimeter wheels flat in his um, uh, Rossi's uh, M12s. And I thought that was just the hottest shit around. And then by the time uh, Oxygens came out, there was plenty of dudes, TJ Weber and others, skating four down, really small wheels. And I'm like, those guys are dope. And that's fine with me. I'm going to do what they do. 54s. Um, does the company make 54 currently, right now? Um. Eulogy does. They do? Okay. Yeah. yeah, I buy them all the time. Okay. Because um, that's getting really interesting about the idea of... Uh, uh, there's a lot of experimenting going on across the board, and I know that 
I, f- I felt like 54s and, and 53s, if anybody even makes that size anymore, would be hard to find. But I know hardnesses are coming back. You see Sean Kelso skating in hard hard wheels and dirt boxes starting to make harder wheels. Uh-huh. 92. And I think they might be making a 96. The ones that Kelso's in are wow, 90, really? 96. Uh, the orange Kryptonics ones, I think, are 96. They wow. might be 94, That's- but they're pretty hard very very hard yeah you look at the way that the direction they're taking their skating in though um like very technical curb street skating type stuff it would work really well for what they're doing so i love that i love that right now that i would like for someone to be a champion of wheel profile i feel like there's never been a champion of wheel profile and there needs to be and there needs to have been for like the last 20 years, and there hasn't been. What What do you prefer? There's a lot. There's a few different options right now, actually. The dirt box are almost like skateboard wheels if, you, if you've looked at them, which... Well, there's there's a lot of wheels that have a nearly square profile. Yeah. If, if you're going to skate in a straight line and jump off of something really tall and land flat on the ground, like what used to be called an acid drop, <laughs> uh, then those square wheels will be great. Um, if you're going to ride a mini ramp um, that's made out of concrete and um, you're not going to take strides ever and just pump the ramp, square wheels will be great. Uh, if you're going to do any kind of turning, uh, those wheels are really awful because the the profile is just terrible. Did you see it's, the uh, – oh, go ahead. It's, 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 it's a profile that's not meant to turn and, and – I think that Jake Barnes over the years has done a, probably a pretty good job of pointing out what a wretched device rollerblades are in terms of their ability to steer. Yeah. In fact, in fact, um, he or, or someone else has pointed out that rollerblades are one of the only wheeled objects that do not have steering. And if you look at a, a suitcase, suitcases have better steering than rollerblades do. Do they? Yeah. Is that just because of the side-to-side motion? Yeah, like the trailer kind? Because there's two wheels. It'd be like it'd be like your ability if you were riding on both heel wheels, like doing a heel, double heel manual. Yeah. You could turn any direction you want to because you have this huge arc, you know, the, the distance between your legs, basically. And your, 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 you know, contact patch is like maybe a millimeter long by whatever the width of the wheel is at that point in the profile. So your surface, your surface contact patch, if you're doing a heel manual is like four or five millimeters squared, which is tiny. Yeah. And you compare that against a 12 inch long wheelbase, anti rocker, even though the contact patch is the same, the effective wheelbase can't turn uh, without drifting which is where all the wear in the wheel comes from. And uh, this is why I think I, I didn't I didn't think about it much at the time, but um, how you said you would skate, you know, the longest frame made out there, that you would skate a super, super long frame. I get it now. I didn't get it at the time, and now I totally get it. Yeah. I don't know how long the hundreds are that I'm on, but they make the bigs feel short. Okay, on that note, I want to nitpick one thing at you. There's a couple of other nitpicky things that I want to talk about. None of uh, This is the only one that has to do with you. Let's do it. Okay. 
Um, at one point, and I can't remember what your exact wording was, at one point in the last podcast, you said that you had rode a pair of frames with wheels at like 90 mil, and then you had put like some 100s or some 110s on there. And I could be misunderstanding you, but it sounded like you had a frame that would fit 90s and 100s, and then you, you went from the 90 to the 100, and you talked about it having uh, more control or more something. Uh, and this is, I'm doing a bad job here, but what, what, you, what you implied was that the larger wheel produced a longer wheelbase, which is just wrong. Oh, no, it was three different frames. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. all right. Yeah. So there's three frames, one of which held 90s, one of which held 100s, and one of which held 110s. Yeah. Okay. okay. And and the 110s were long as fuck. I don't know how long, but to the point that there was almost like a 110 millimeter wheel sticking right out of your heel and right out of your toe almost completely. Right, right. Something like that. Um, well, well, that's that's good to know. So you you you've you've dodged you've dodged my criticism there. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, but I, I do think, though, that, that a, a number of people are under the misconception that the bigger wheel will produce a, a bigger wheelbase for the reason that when you look down at your foot, you will see the wheel sticking out, which has been a hallmark of people's opinions for years now. <laughs> yeah. They don't like the frames because they can't see the front wheel. <laughs> yeah. And like That's not a reason to hate it. You should hate it because you understand how you skate. You understand how a longer or shorter wheelbase performs. You understand... The, the basic mechanics of rollerblades and you should know better. And and I'm very, very glad to know that you were not under that misconception. No, I think... Um... If, if you are under that misconception, bear in mind that this is just like the, the sort of item of the week, the gold and white dress. I don't know how many people have seen this. It's all in your head. It's all in your head. If you can see the front wheel, that means nothing. It's if true. If you understand the basic mechanics of rollerblading, you will think in terms of wheel hardness, wheel profile, wheel spacing, split, rocker, length, wheelbase, all these all these kinds of things. Yeah. Not whether or not you can fucking see the thing. Yeah, and I think uh, that's where the experimentation and discussions about all these setups has been really good. Um, but little things like if the bigs, it would have been way too expensive to make them rockerable and uh, dimension-wise, it would have been tough to figure out max wheel sizes and if it's going to rub on certain boots and all that stuff, but um, that frame would have been that much better. Um, I've got I've to say bravo to, to the guys at, at Create Originals for trying to... In, in, in whatever desperate way they're trying to get their project done, they went out on a limb and went for uh, a, a very pricey, expensive skate or, or frame with a lot of bits and parts. And it's clear that they've had many issues, but I definitely applaud those guys uh, for, for taking it back to a customizable frame. And, and thank God for that, because... Uh, there's virtually no frames out there that they, that ha- that can do that. Uh, no, no. Nope. I mean, we, we did mention earlier the Kaiser Slimline is rockerable, but that frame is just—it's an anti-rocker frame. So um, the ability to rocker up and down 
to me is is kind of futile. I don't know about rollerblade stock frames, but I know the K2 stock frames are um, almost unskatable, but they do have the metal rocker bull spacers still. And the huh. and the the six millimeter axles they don't break, but that where you can grind the shit out of them on the one side, uh-huh. you'll need the one tool still. But I I do still love that 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 they have the old uh, metal spacer system on them. Huh. Okay. Yeah. I know that frame though. It's the one that came with the Nemesis and and all those. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically okay. yeah, the those, same those one. Things, yeah. Those things are useless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. The rocker. It's got like a hollow H block. And and like like some weird graphic on the side that's laminated on that peels off the first time you grind a ledge, and then it'll like it becomes razor sharp and will cut your fingers. I thought that that idea um, could be. It was almost like whatever they use on their skis. Is that what they use on skis? That top oh God, sheet. I don't know. I I don't know. <laughs> oh God. But um, I'd have to check rollerblade possibly. Um, I don't know. In terms of like, if you're trying to save pennies on your aggressive skates, rockerball spacers, I'm sure is expensive. Yeah. If if they're metal as well. I think even just metal spacers, it was interesting that uh, like ground control just introduced the metal spacers back. Because when was the last time you skated on plastic spacers, frame spacers? Mm, I don't know the answer to that question. You can feel your skate slowing down. It's oh, really? Weird. Yeah, it's wild. And I think well, uh, I have aluminum frames, man. So you know, and I've got enough pairs to last me a lifetime. And so that, okay, I, I don't ever have to delve into those those dregs of humanity ever again. This is where again, I have to uh, two things: high cuff skate. I thought everybody was wrong about that. Turns out, not that not that there's the right way to have your skates, but I do think a high cuff skate. Um, is what I would prefer, not just for big wheel skating, but I think for aggressive skates, long frames now, yeah. and uh, and metal frames, not just for big wheel skating, but I'm pretty goddamn sure for aggressive skating. They might not be for everybody, like an anti-rocker plastic low to the ground frame is fine, but I know when you get into bigger uh, bigger wheels, and shit, just the way that it feels under your foot, response wise um okay i would like to hipster all the way out and say i was on this tip in in, in 1999 (laughs) hipster away i was motherfucking cool and on that tip before anybody was on that tip and i'm i'm rad and i demand respect hey i'll give it to you no i'm joking i'm totally joking but i will tell you that my favorite pair of skates of all time were the Shima ones uh, that came out from Razors, and they were the ones that had the big, big Shima, you know, on the back of the cuff, and the yes, cuff stuck out like four in. inches. Yeah. Okay. That skate, I had taken. Uh, I, I I rode for Razors at that time, and I still had all my old stuff, which had come out on the previous models, and I made a pair of double cuff skates to bring the cuff to the top of that liner. And I accomplished it with a blue uh, medium hardness razor's cuff put onto the skate with the top cut off with, dr- with holes drilled in it higher up with a soft cuff mounted above that. 
so that the cuff went all the way to the top of that great big liner, like to the height of a ski boot. And it hinged at two points because of the two cuff bolts. And they were slotted, I had slotted them like an oxygen, so that it pivoted. And those were the best skates that I ever had. And if I could set those up exactly the way that they were and skate those for the rest of time, I would do it. So, okay. Um, so I was skating, I was skating a, a skate two cuffs tall, doing front torques on whatever for miles with the weight of my body bearing on my shin rather than my ankle because of the high cuff. And I totally, uh, I get this now. Not that, not that the Seba, not that it goes super high, but it's higher than normal. It's uh-huh. like, it's stiffer material that you can lace up quite high. And um, now it's starting to feel low and I totally understand your logic. And now that I've tried ski boots as well, going back to skiing. Well, what I, what I don't see is when I look at guy, there's a guy, there's a guy in Austin who I know, the guy who gave me this uh, Kaiser Slimlines. And he, he wears a, he has a big ass foot like I do. I wear like an 11 and a half. Um, he wears a 12. And so we're both on the same game about trying to find giant long frames, you know, getting, getting into the 11, 12, 13 range. Uh, skates become really, really terrible um, because everything gets out of proportion. They don't make bigger cuffs. They don't make bigger liners. It's the same height uh, cuff with this giant gunboat, banana boat of a foot on the bottom. And they're terrible skates that we have to put up with. And so it's been uh, a struggle. And I, I hope that there are people out there listening to this who, have, who, who can you know, sympathize uh, with with my condition and the condition of the rest of us with giant feet, where if you look at the proportions, almost all skates are maximized for a size nine foot, which makes sense because most people wear about a size nine. So the closer you are to size nine, the better the skate is going to fit your foot, the more the geometry is going to be optimized to your body. As you get further away from that middle point, Everything goes to shit. And so those of us with large, large feet, like 12 or, or – and I pity the guys who have, you know, 13, 13 and a half, 14 size shoes, size skates. I can't imagine the horror that they've lived with because you're talking about a skate that is 12 or 13 inches long with a cuff that is like 6 or 7 inches high. I've never and thought that about that. That cuff should be way higher. I mean, dudes who wear size 13 skates are like six foot three. A lot of guys who are six foot three weigh like 250, 260 pounds or more. Who knows? You know? And and like these little baby cuffs that like look like I don't even like 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 little wilted pieces of lettuce that are meant to hold up your, your ankles while you jump off of a fucking thing. <laughs> and then i go to the ski shop and i look at a pair of ski boots and i'm like oh now you're talking yeah because what i want when i do a front torque is to dig into my groove my my royale groove and to not have to hold the weight of my hulking body with my little bitty ankle 
I want to hold the weight of my body with something big like like my two shin bones. And uh, this is where I, I wish there was more footage of you because um, I completely understand. If you were on this tip a while back, I had aggressive skating completely wrong for quite some time. That you now... didn't, though. You didn't, though. You were doing it exactly the way you wanted to. I know. I was, uh, sorry. Sorry. I was doing it exactly the way I wanted to. But the way that I want to do it now, um, skating the bigger wheel setups and just bombing around a park full speed, trying to be as controlled as possible, I understand how I want to grind now, if that makes any sense. I understand like the way that you were explaining that front torque was not how I imagined a front torque when I was learning aggressive skating. I thought that you came up medium to low speed, you jumped on it and you tried to balance with, you You know, like I didn't, I didn't know about going fast as fuck and having a, the support in all the right spots. I didn't, I didn't think about that. I'm sure a lot of people didn't. Some people did, some people didn't, but, but I also, I also want to have respect for myself, my former self. Um, and I want you to have respect for your former self because there was nothing wrong with what you're doing then. And there's nothing wrong with what you're doing now. And I'm going to say that you're as confident now in what you think that you're doing and how you think that you're doing it as you were when you were 17 doing whatever it was you were doing then. It's true. It's true. I have a beard now, though. So when I yeah. when I go to the park, it's like, this guy's older. He can grow a beard. Yeah, yeah. I would have loved to have had that when I was younger. Can we can we take can we take a quick five minute break and then I want to get into some other stuff from the previous podcast? Yeah, let's do it. I like it on Futurama when Bender always says, "I'm back, baby." <laughs> you guys should do that. I'm back, baby. Every time there's a break. Yeah. It's good. Well, I you don't have to, job. but I think it'd be funny. I'll I'll do it. I gotta say if it more. I, if I'd had that thought ten seconds earlier, I would have said it. You should have. And then it'd be like a secret inside joke for the people who watch Futurama. I wouldn't have known it. I wouldn't have known the reference. Well, it's a great show. I, okay. Okay. So can I can I jump in? Yeah. Okay. So for the sake of continuity, I'm going to go out of order uh, with the the list of things uh, that I had written down here. But because of where we just left off before the break, I want to go right back to an item that I wasn't planning on talking about next, but makes sense for our hearers out there in the wide world, which is your commentary on the Drew Backrack Montre Livingston VOD. Yeah. Okay. So there are a whole bunch of issues uh, with that that I would like to talk about. The main point that I would like to underscore is that I would challenge everyone, you included, and I do this with myself always, uh, is to try to, number one, see just how complicated something can be, and number two, not resist the complexity uh, inherent in any event or any situation or any person or any circumstance. Okay, so there is, there is an extent to which I agree with the point that you were making about uh, is is Drew Backrack, uh, you know, jumping on this bandwagon all of a sudden, out of the blue, so it would seem, 
um, because there's now money on offer. And I understand that impulse, but I also understand that it's really, really unfair when we talk about people paying their dues, uh, whether they've made contributions. I mean, Drew Backrack is a guy who made terrific contributions to rollerblading. And I wonder how, how, what, what statute of limitations do people levy on a man so that they have this feeling that you haven't done anything lately, therefore you haven't proven yourself, you're not part of us, you abandoned us, and now we're mad at you because you're swinging around here because there's money to be made. And where, where I'm coming from is to say, number one, I do understand people's impulse that they do think that way, but I would also challenge people to say, now, just hold, hold, hold on one second here. Just how much fucking street cred do we need a guy to have where, where, where we won't challenge him for coming in and making a VOD? How much did... Uh, he just didn't... Like, okay. I'll state that I was a big fan of his skating. Big fan of Under the Influence is amazing. Life Plus is amazing. But I'm talking about a large dry spell. And I and I understand that there should be no such thing as street cred. But there wasn't even a free anything that... And, and I'm also outside of the LA scene. I have right. no idea. I have no idea. But, but the comparison I was making was that there was lots of people making lots of stuff. Yes. In the time that he made nothing and for someone to come back and i don't know it just seemed like a big production and it I, didn't, I didn't need to impulse. be what, what i'm encouraging you to do is to hold two things in two hands so that you can feel on the one hand man you really look like a johnny come lately you really feel like one of these dudes who's just swooping in because there's money to be made you you you, you can have that opinion that's a fine opinion to have whether I have it, whether you have it, whether anybody else has it, is totally up to you or totally up to the person. However, on the other hand, I would challenge people to say, just how much how much street cred does a guy have to have before he can come and do something? None. He just has to do something. I agree. I agree. I think that I think that there is a terrific uh, dimension to our community where uh, a lot of people put out, as you said in the last um, uh, podcast. Uh, box edits of doing nicely done tricks um people doing little small edits with their with their phones it's 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 a way of rollerbladers to put on facebook or put wherever on vine or whatever it is um a little glimpse of the microcosm of rollerblading of which they are one part of which there are maybe a hundred thousand other parts hundred thousand other people maybe more um the low estimate, in my opinion, is about 100,000 worldwide. The large estimates are about a million of us worldwide. It's probably somewhere in between, but I tend to think that it's around the lower end of that. But that's, 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 uh, that's a bit of a digression. The point is, um, knowing that a kid lives in Austin and skates the box that he built in his backyard, and he can do such and such tricks, and he does them in such and such a way, and he rides such and such skates, that's just one small part. 
and Drew Backrack has earned his his right to to be just one part, um, just like all the rest of us have. So 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 that's that's one one or two areas of complication. Um, another thing that I would like to add about this situation is your your insistence. You were fairly emphatic about wanting Montre to have got all the money. <laughs> I was going to say that again. Uh, yeah. Okay. Let me let me come back around. This is why I, I moved to this point. Um, and for our audience, this is when you'll realize that I made an effort to provide some continuity. Um, is that the last thing that we were saying was you have to have respect for your 17-year-old self when you're 32, when you're 35. You're just as convinced now that you're doing the right thing with the, the skates that you have, the setup that you have, as you were when you were 17. And you have to respect those different people. It's imperative that those two people deserve respect. They're human beings. They live in different times. They live in different circumstances. But they both deserve respect. And the reason that there's continuity with what I'm talking about with Montre is that no matter what you think about charging money for a VOD, Montre is a fucking grown-ass man. And Drew Backrack is a fucking grown-ass man. And those two men, we have to respect enough and leave them alone enough to work out whatever deal they're going to work out. It's not my job to disrespect Montre by saying he can't represent himself in a conversation with Drew Backrack and say that he deserves all the money. These are two grown men, and they are, they are entitled and they are due whatever they arrange between themselves. And it's not between you and them. It's not between me and you. It's not between any other people in the world other than those two men. How, what, did, what did you, just if you were to estimate how the money would have gotten split up? It's none of my business, man. It's none of my business. Those two, those two men are individuals, they are human beings, and they are autonomous. And whatever they negotiate between themselves is what they each decided were, was fair. Did you purchase the VOD? I have not yet. I actually have been meaning to, um, but I've, I've had a busy week, and so I have not. Um, yeah, you have a good point. You have a good point. You have, um, I also stated on the podcast that um, I may be wrong in saying it, but I sometimes say things out loud on the podcast that could just be typing on Facebook, but I just say it out loud. No, see, this, this is the thing. This is the thing. Um, let me do a brief side note. There's a terrific book. And, and, oh, and, and the other thing was, I'm sure I was saying what a lot of people may have been thinking. Yes, yes. So I, you said that too. Right. So, so there's a terrific book. It's a very small pocket book. It's called Crimes Against Logic. It's written by an Australian, I think, whose name is Jamie White. And um, he has an exquisite chapter that's very good for undergraduate students, um, explaining that there is no such thing as a right to your opinion. There, there, it, it's an impossible right. Any right guaranteed to you, he argues, is met with a certain responsibility that other people have. Okay, So a very easy example of this is that if the government says that you have your right to your life, 
That means that everybody else in the society has a responsibility not to kill you or deprive you of that life. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, so if you were to have such a thing as a right to an opinion, not right to speech, we have the right to speech, you cannot have a right to an opinion because there is no way for any other people in the society uh, to do something, to have a responsibility that would um, um, complement that right that you have. It's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a strain. Do you, do you, yeah, that do you one was that one. One more. Give me one more. Um, uh, one more in which, on which side? Give me a rollerblading example, if if possible. Okay. Um, Not even example, but in terms. Okay. Uh, let's see. If 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 there is such a thing as park etiquette, right? If you've had a run on the mini ramp, and everybody's skating the mini ramp, um, if there's such a thing as fairness then you have a responsibility to your peers, to your fellow skaters, to not jump in in front of them when they're waiting to go. Yeah. Okay? That's the kind of thing that if, 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 if Joey has a right to his turn, then Frank has a responsibility to not jump in in front of Joey so that he can skate the ramp too. Okay, yeah. So in order for you to have your fair turn, I have the responsibility where I can't cut in front of you. Or I can't, you know, duct tape you and hog tie you and keep you from ever dropping into the ramp because your, you know, hands are bound behind your back to your feet. Yeah. It's my responsibility. If you really have a right to your turn, um, it's my responsibility not to to prevent you from having that turn. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And now this is in relation to the Drew Backrack Montre VOD and me saying that I think when, when you said, when you referenced this book was when I said, I may have said something out loud that lots of people were possibly thinking. Yes. Okay. So, so where I'm going with that is to say, you do not have a right to your opinion. There's no such thing as that. You do have a right to say whatever you want. You also are bound to deal with the consequences of, of that speech. In this case, I think that the Mushroom Blading podcast in general function in many ways, like talk radio, where you are working out in your head in real time, out loud, with an audience, a lot of ideas that you may not be married to, but you think that they're worth saying. You think that they're worth putting out there. And I think that in some ways you have a responsibility to put out a lot of these ideas and say, listen, I don't know, you know, if I'm the only one who thinks that your back rack is a Johnny-come-lately, but... Uh, I don't know, we might be a Johnny-come-lately. <laughs> you didn't do that ridiculous voice, but you came across in the podcast as voicing that opinion in that kind of a way. Okay, good. I, yeah. You don't, you don't come across as someone saying, this man is a pirate, he has swooped in and demanded our money at gunpoint, and he's taking us hostage, and he's taking rollerblading hostage, and and he's you know whatever. You didn't you didn't in my opinion come across that way. Yeah, uh, I do think that a lot of people probably thought that, and for that reason, it's worth saying. 
And I think that it's very important that we realize that we can hold that thought in one hand and we can also hold in the other hand the respect that we have for the contributions that he's already made. Yeah. And this dovetails into into a point that I was going to do before this, but it, it works just as well right here, which is to say, you said about about Chris Haffey in the last one that he had his VOD, um, and there was no question of any anything, as far as I heard, anywhere, about who got the money relative to that Chris Haffey VOD. I think... Uh... I can't remember the numbers because AJ's pretty does transparent. He, does he publish those? Yeah. That's a strange thing, and maybe we can come back to that if there's time. But the, the, the point the point that I wanted to make is that you said um, that uh, Chris Haffey's last VOD was like a victory lap and that no one is on his level, and I don't necessarily dispute that, um, but that he has nothing left to prove, and that's specifically what you said. There's nothing left for him to prove, um, and and that's 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 slippery. That's tricky for me because um, holding people to a standard that they have something to prove, and whether by your assessment and everybody else's assessment, whether they have proved it or not, is terrifying. That everyone's contributions at all times are subject to the whims of people's assessment of whether they have proven themselves or not, such that Chris Haffey can do a VOD and have nothing to prove. That logic suggests that, therefore, Montre still has something to prove, and we don't know what it is, but it's some ineffable thing out there, some intangible, ineffable thing that Montre still has to make VODs or edits or whatever because he's still got stuff to prove. And that uh, terrifies me. No, I don't think Montre has anything left to prove either. I use that logic, the Haffy thing, I was relating it to, he released this fucking ridiculous uh, Mega Ramp edit. Uh-huh. And I remember some of the comments I read, which of course you can't base all of rollerblading on some comments that you read. But I remember reading that people were like, it's too bad I would love to see a new street section of him. Uh-huh. Like like that the logic of yeah, the the mega ramp's great and everything, but man, he really he really needs to put out a new street section, or right? I'd love to see that. And this idea that even though he's killing the mega ramp and doing Nitro Circus, that there's sometimes this this idea that people owe something to yeah. real street skating. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's kind of where and I'm sure it was a lot of fucking work for him to put that VOD out. Lots of traveling, right? Um, lots of time away from his girlfriend, time spent off from Nitro Circus to make that part. So I'm sure he feels some kind of obligation to put something out really right. good. So that's where the logic came from, if that makes right. any sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing, one thing on... on if I could continue riffing on the same idea of, of letting things be complicated. <laughs> right? Yes. One thing that is, that is really complicating things is, um, number one, this perception that rollerblading is either a family or a close knit community, 
where everybody has a sense, or many people, I should say, have a sense, that they get to know everything. And so this is circling back, on the one hand, to um, the, the, the Montre uh, and, and Drew Backrack uh, VOD with people having some sense of entitlement that they get to know, A, what money was made, B, where that money went, and C, that those people earning that money and holding that money should be um, um, liable for the opinions of the people consuming those media, which is crazy. It's crazy that people think that because rollerblading is small, because rollerblading is either close-knit or a family or a close-knit community, you know, or, or, or whatever, that they somehow have an entitlement to know and have an opinion about who gets the money, where the money goes, whether people are allowed to make money, what kind of street cred you have to have to earn that money, to ask for that money. And in my opinion, it's none of anybody's business. It's the business of Montre Livingston and Drew Backrack deciding, number one, that they wanted to charge money for the thing, and number two, that they're going to divide up or not the money. Frankly, I don't think it's anybody's business. It's between those two men and between no one else. If you don't want to pay the fire, if you don't want to pay the four dollars, don't pay the four dollars. If you think that Montre deserved the four dollars, get on PayPal and send him four dollars. He'll take it. Yeah, he'll take it for sure. I think every pro skater should have a PayPal button. I think a Jake- lot of the YouTube channels now use a program called Subbable, and it's a voluntary subscription where the videos are still free, but you can agree to pay $5 a week or $1 a week or $0.10 a week or whatever you want to pay. Um, And I think that that's really neat. And I think that the Internet has a lot of democratic power in that way um, where people can can give you money. Hey, you guys, I think that you're doing awesome stuff. Here's 20 bucks. Yeah. I want to to tell a quick story um, about, about Jake Barnes a very, very long time ago, like in the 90s. Uh, and he was he was a talented guy, and he could zoom around and do big jumps and big tricks in the skate parks. And inevitably, there would be a young kid there, and he would come up to Jake, and he would say, man, you're amazing. Are you sponsored? And he would say, no, I'm not. And the kid would say, well, you should be. And he would say, well, then why don't you give me 20 bucks? <laughs> He was ahead of his time. If you think that somebody is dope and you think that Montre deserves the four bucks, the whole four bucks, motherfucking mail him four bucks. Yeah. Go on his Facebook. Friend him on Facebook. Say, hey, Montre, I'm fucking so-and-so. I think that your video was dope, and I like. I would like to believe that you got the whole $4. You... In case you didn't get the $4, because I don't respect you for being able to negotiate with another human being for whatever amount you want, I'm going to suggest that the $4 that I think that you should have got for that edit, I'm going to send to you. And then send it. And then send it. Send him the $4. End of story. <laughs> Were you saying I don't respect the person? You're making an assumption that I don't respect the person. I'm saying that there, there, is, there is a chain of logic that I can that I can provide for you, which culminates with you think that Montre should have got X, 
and that Montre, for whatever reason, didn't get X, that therefore Montre was not able to secure X for himself. Therefore, you doubt his ability to secure X for himself on his own. I'm sure he secured X. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's a complicated thing. And it's a really bizarre dimension of rollerblading that uh, the currency of our, of our sport or activity has become online edits. Years ago, some years ago, there was this big, long wall of text written by Damian Wilson talking about how, you know, he didn't know, you know, that he was supposed to put out five edits a year and that he got canned because he wasn't putting out five edits a year and nobody told him to put out five edits a year and he felt like he was fired or let go or whatever on shady, shady grounds. Um, and, and I don't know the circumstances of, of that reality, but I do know that edits have be online edits, whether they are paid or not, uh, have become the currency of rollerblading. And when you look at any up-and-coming skater like Andrew Broom or Garrett Banning or any of the other dozens and dozens of men and women who are on the make right now, there is someone filming them buying really, really high-end professional camera gear to provide a level of quality that the audience demands. And none of those companies that are providing skates for Andrew Broom or Jared Banning or any of the other up-and-coming guys and gals, there is some other guy who's having to buy a humongous amount of professional camera gear and go out and spend his time making those videos, doing those, filming those clips, learning about photography, and he doesn't even get any free skates. He doesn't get any free camera gear, to be sure, but he he's not getting skates, he's not getting camera gear, he's getting nothing. And when somebody like Lonnie or Jay Garrick or uh, AJ or anybody wants to put out, a, put out a thing, I think that they should do it however they want. If you want to do it old, old school style, like, like AJ, and buy a van on a credit card and take a tour on a credit card, that's fucking cool. I'll be happy to watch you, those guys live in their life. If somebody can do it for free, that's great. If somebody can't do it for free, that's great. I, I'm just very hesitant to start calling anybody greedy when there's more money to be made as a janitor than there is to be made in rollerblading. On an annual basis, let's say. Who's greedy? And health insurance. Oh, you're just talking about VOD in general. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm kind of sorry. I don't know if I was off on my little, having a little rant there. Sorry. No, no. I was following. Okay. <laughs> I just, I just, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's important to me to take, take an extra couple of moments for myself to pause and think about what are all the dimensions um, and what are all the, what are all the forces acting on a person or a group of people and their situation in their time um, at any given time um, before I make any firm conclusions. And where I'll defend where you're coming from is that the Mushroom Blading Podcast, as I said before, has a very wonderful talk radio 
kind of quality where a lot of us get a lot out of listening to you guys um, think out loud, so to speak. And so I'm not holding you to a strict standard where I'm going to come on to your own podcast and start lampooning you about accusations that you never made. You were, you were merely having a saunter, a mental stroll, um, where you were entertaining this idea. Um, but, but being careful enough, um, to, to, to not, you know, lob any accusations at anybody. So I'm, I'm actually, it may not sound like it, but I'm actually applauding what you're doing because I really, really appreciate the way, whether you know it or not, you are allowing things to be complicated because speculation is, 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 is valuable because we can decide on it later when we have better facts. But in the meantime, there's, there's plenty of time for speculation and more thinking is always better than less thinking. In my opinion, I think the podcast gets misunderstood or even posts sometimes because of that we've never we've never claimed to be a news source or the number one place to find out all of your information right never or the 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 oracle of delphi or yeah or the voice the the voice of skating none of that we're just people who have skated for a really long time and pre-podcast, we would have bullshitted about all this stuff anyway. So, And we can't talk about it with our coworkers or wives, like I said. Maybe we can a little bit, but if we can do it into a microphone and, and then create a conversation. Yes, absolutely. And, that's and beautiful. I do sympathize with being really excited about something and having no one to tell. <laughs> that's, uh, I mean, Facebook is beautiful. That's probably the first one, um, and I'm happy to hear there's more podcasts coming up because there's all this energy. We we a lot of us work nine to fives or or work during the week, and we have all of this energy that that if we can't skate, we still want to stay connected to it somehow. So, yep. um, Facebook's great for that. Podcasts are great for that. Um, Instagram, if you're on it, it's a lot quicker. But yeah, skate porn on Instagram and some of those uh. Some of the Facebook groups too. Facebook uh-huh. just can just be dangerous for the same reason the podcast, the podcast, the, the talk radio thing translates a lot better on the podcast than it does in Facebook. Someone might be emotional in the moment. They say never, never email when you're emotional. You know, yeah. A post might go up and then boom, just pop popcorn eating comment section. Yeah, there there is though a, a, an interesting thing developing that's called delete culture, and I think that BBC or PBS uh, is doing a story about. It. Maybe they've already done it. I don't know which. Um, but the idea is that there is a certain um, satisfaction that you get from you know locking in that caps lock and saying "fuck you, man." I hope you die in a fire, uh, and then and then having that enter the world. And then, and then, oh God! You think about it a second later, and you think, "I don't want to be that guy," and you delete it. But you get both, right? <laughs> you get both, and this is this is a real phenomenon of the world that we're entering, as the world becomes more and more online, or as many of us become more and more online and develop our online identities. Um, there is a tremendous satisfaction that people can get from having said it. And, and it's and it's and it's more real 
than, um, you know, being picked on by a bully. And then days later or hours later or, or whatever, you think to yourself, God, what I really should have said was such and such, right? There's this guilt that you, you weren't able to say it then because you didn't have the courage or the acumen or whatever. Um, but with the delete culture, you can, you can say, I hope you die in a fire. I hope you choke. You know, you're an idiot, whatever it is. Um, and you can delete it. And there's a certain amount of kind of tacit um, cooperation that the community has where even if someone saw it in real time and they screenshotted you commenting that and then they say, oh, well, it was deleted, that society, or at least the online culture, gives you credit for having the good sense to have said it and then taken it down. So it's almost as if you never said it at all, but you get to say it for free if you delete it. And it's massively alluring to lots and lots of people who don't have the the acuity to produce uh, the perfect comeback right there in real time. You could just say something hateful or you can say whatever it is that you want to say and then delete it instantaneously and, and you get both for free. You get to have said it and you get the safety of having never said it. Do you think that, uh, that it would be more beneficial to speak comments uh, through audio or have to say it to a camera? Um, do you think there would be more to that than, than writing it sometimes in terms of this quick kind of Facebook culture? Well, w what I think is really neat about the developing technologies uh, is the multimodality that we're, that we're seeing. Things like memes and Vine videos. One of the best Vine videos, and I, I think it was Vine. You guys do Vine, right? Yeah, yeah, once in a while, yeah. The 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 John Ortiz old school backslide, new school backslide. I, I must have watched that a thousand times, and I was laughing maniacally the entire time, like, laughing like like a hysterical person. Yeah, for a very long time. <laughs> and that multimodality. That, that sort of hypermedium of, of text and video uh, or, or spoken word and video and the quick timing and the editing there is, is, is so wonderfully to me speaks to a sentiment um, that can be conveyed better with that combination of spoken word and video and timing and editing than... Uh, many other things could do it. Two pictures side by side, uh, an essay, uh, a person explaining. Well, back in the day, we used to do backslides and oxygens, and the rails were like 40 or 50 feet long. And da, 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 da. It, it has a sharpness and, and, a, and an acuity um, that I think is really brilliant. It's really, really brilliant. And you guys have done it well a number of times, and there's a tremendous amount of other people using... Uh, what what in academia we call new media, which is you know shows how fucking boneheaded and behind the times academia is. Um, but uh, no, I, I don't think that a, a written word is is any better than uh, a spoken, uh, videoed thing um, in terms of its rhetorical effect. Um, any rhetorical situation demands uh, a certain response or a certain series of responses, 
Some of those responses may go over better with a given audience as pure text. Some of them may go over better as a Vine video. Some of them may go over better as a, as a you know, uh, selfie video where you're saying with your face, guaranteeing your, your identity, uh, whatever your comment was. Um, so, so it really, really depends why, widely on, this, on the circumstances. Um, but I, I feel like that wasn't quite your question. I feel like you were angling more for a, a question about um, uh, knowing people's identity and, and people having uh, an anonymity. No, no, I think your answer was really good because I do see people, um, whether it's uh, emoticons on, on Instagram, I see more, or, uh, or memes on Facebook, or it doesn't even have to be a meme. It can just be a photo that captures yeah. everything you need in your comment. I yeah. love that. I fucking love the Michael Jackson eating the popcorn uh-huh. in a thread that's exploding. I love that stuff. Oh my God. I saw such a good one the other day. It, it was, it was on imager and it was saying, um, you know, they, they post these when such and such, such and such happens. And then it just has a gif and, and the, the, the two things wouldn't make sense together otherwise. But uh, the joke basically is when you can juxtapose those things and make meaning from the juxtaposition. Um, and it says, my reaction when uh, the hand dryer at the, at, the, um, at, the, at the restaurant or in the bathroom doesn't work. And, and the GIF is, is of the, the Michael Jackson thriller video where they're like throwing their hands up and down in that dance move, you know? Like, it's the guy trying to dry his hands. And now all of a sudden the Michael Jackson thriller video with the zombies and the werewolves and the whole thing is really about somebody trying to dry their hands off because the, 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 the hand dryer is broken. <laughs> and it's that juxtaposition that is his absolutely hysterical. And, I... and, and these, these new media are really terrific at, at allowing people to make um, really, really acute uh, jokes and observations. Uh, and it's wonderful. It's wonderful to see it happen. I love it. Yeah, I think rollerblading's been doing a good job with it too. It, it hasn't. There's there's all sorts of people um, who've done some amazing memes. You see them pop up. Yeah. Um, and wow, our history is rich with possible memes. Just just oh, yeah. like the old. I think Todd was saying he wanted to make that a series, but he hasn't. That one may have been so perfect that the series might only have one video for yeah. old school, new school. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was good. It was really good. And uh, I hope Vine sticks around because I think it's kind of revealed itself as as more of a comedy. That uh-huh. six seconds is more for a joke um, uh-huh. than anything else. Whereas a fifteen second video on Instagram, you can do more with it. So right. we'll see. Because it, some people kind of go back and forth whether Vine is gonna stick around or not. I think it's perfect as like a little video comic strip. Yeah. Um, and shit. The looping function, if you just film, if you put a trick in there that you would watch over and over again, it's it's uh-huh. handy that way too. Um, yeah. Because instead of rewinding the goddamn video all the time. Right. Yeah. Um, do you have other notes down? Um, how, much, how much time do we have left? We have uh, about, you know, 15 minutes or, or so. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, let me let me bring up let me bring up one more thing um, to 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 have got this out. There's there's always so many things um, 
that, uh, you know, don't have time to get covered or maybe they don't get the, the treatment that they, that they could get. Um, but I think that that's, that's one more virtue of the podcast format is that, you know, there'll be two more hours the next time for you to talk about this with yourself or with someone else. Um, and, and there, there's just a tremendous number of things that can be covered. Uh, we didn't get to all the things and all the detail that I would have liked. Um, but, um, that doesn't matter because there will be more again in the future. Oh yes. So the, 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 the one more that I want to at least cover, and then we can, we can, we can digress after that, but it has to do with, um, what you were talking about with Dustin Latimer in one of the old videos doing an outspin to front Nugent perfectly. And you described it as textbook. Yeah. Okay. So, so that is, that is the topic. And there are a couple of things, there are a couple of things tied up in this, um, that, that, that I want to address. Number one and this is something that I think that you kind of uh, juggled a little bit. Um, I don't know whether you were saying that that was the first time that you saw it or the first time that you were aware of that trick or the first time you were aware of that trick being done that well or, or quite what. But at one point, I think that you did make a comment about um, the first time uh, a trick is done um, can, can be groundbreaking, Right. Or and a it, failed experiment. It absolutely can be a failed experiment. Yeah. Um, I, I I would, and, and I, I don't want to argue against a point that you didn't necessarily make. But yeah. I okay. Suggest that number one, um, it would be extraordinarily rare, in my opinion, that the first time a trick was done, that it was the best time a trick was done. Does that make sense? That just to, or uh, uh, Jason Marshall's Alley Topside Soul. Uh, in VG4 is not the best alley-oop topside sole that has been done. It may have been one of the first, and as far as the society at large or the community at large is concerned, it was probably the first one that most people saw, and it was given a lot of prominence in the video by Dave Payne. Um, but to me, the more important part of that is that a new trick like that, specifically that one trick, um, was a tremendous conceptual challenge for the rollerblading language to produce a description of it that everybody else would understand. And it's value. The first time something is done, uh, many times the value doesn't come from that trick being the best performance or the best execution of that trick. It comes from the challenge to the conceptual and linguistic system that we have um, because we didn't have a concept for Alip Topside. Before that trick was done, Alip Topside wasn't a thing. And that trick is what created the entire notion of Alip Topside. And that's why it's a big trick. There, I, I did say there was a Alip Farside yes. true spin in Hoax 2 where he landed in the grass. Do you remember that one? I do, and I remember you saying that. Um, and it and I guess that was so far ahead that there wasn't even any point. Maybe someone was trying to 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 create the language for that. But um, 
I think what I was trying to get at was that there was an there's an energy behind the tricks being performed for the first time, uh-huh. and that's what translates. That that I I do think there is a textbook look to Jason Marshall's trick to Latimer's front farv. But you're okay. saying you're saying the bigger thing is that it's a language, the idea of of doing something that defies the rollerblading language is even bigger than that? Um, yes, absolutely. But there, there's two things. <clears throat> language does not exist in a vacuum. It's not just doing a new trick and making up a new word for it. That that trick in particular required the invention of an entirely new conceptual system. So it's not like you do an alley topside sole and you call it a whirlybird, and from here on out, that one trick, independent of any other trick, is called a whirlybird, right? Yeah. That doesn't do anything. It's not just about the words. Any word has to be processed by a brain, and that brain has to have some system of dealing with it. And if you have a term like whirlybird, and Jason Marshall had said, I invented this trick, I'm the first one to do it, I'm the first one to do it in a video, I'm the first one to do it in a video booklet, so there... And I'm calling it the whirlybird. Okay, fine. Whether that lives or dies as the whirlybird, no one can tell. What we can tell is that it took a while, and eventually the, the challenge that he provided for us was to answer a puzzle. And that was to invent a new piece for the, the rollerblading conceptual system that alley-oop and topside could happen at the same time and could be done with any number of tricks. So then you have all the possibilities of alley topside acid, uh, kind grind, alley topside porn star, and those other tricks had been done in various capacities, but there was no conceptual system in anybody's minds that would allow a uniform system of language to emerge that would handle it. And that- so, what's valuable isn't that it was a special kind of word that hit the trick; it was literally a challenge. That made everybody say, "Wait, what do you do? What do you deal with when it's both backside or topside and uh, and backwards at, at all the same time?" And that challenged us to invent an entirely new concept, which was the alley-oop topside. And so that prefix alley-oop topside can be put onto any other head noun or any other trick, right? Alley-oop topside soul. Alley topside porn star, alley topside anything, right? ATP, AT, whatever. And the value in that particular trick, um, and first tricks in general, is not when you just do something neat and call it something neat. It's when the new trick challenges the conceptual system to invent a new dimension of understanding. Negatives were the same way. They were exactly the same way. Eric Burke, this is a perfect example. Eric Burke used to do negative porn star, forward negative porn star. And they were neat because they were novel, and he was doing them in K2s with grind plates in very, very little space in the way of uh, negative space, especially compared to like a shadow or something like that now. Um, But he had very little space, and yet he was still doing it. Those negative porn stars, forward negative porn stars that Eric Burke was doing way back in the day in like VG5 
are far from the best negative porn stars that have been done. There are men and women now who are doing them on crazy things. And it would have been, it would have been unthinkable uh, 15 years ago. Certainly in BG5 when, when Eric Burke was first doing them. Um, would you say a more... It's tough, though, because a novel trick like The Sidewalk, uh-huh. Julio was the first to perform it, made it actually look pretty good because he was Julio. Not so good that it stuck to rollerblading, but no one could do them as good as Julio did. Yeah. So the first one was the best. So I don't know, maybe... Um, and Josh Latona... In a, in a way, though, the first sidewalk was also the last because the community took a look at it and said, yeah, John can do those, but I don't think anybody else should. Therefore, it's not a trick. It's non-canonical, and we veto that thing existing. So while I agree that the first one might have been the best one, the best one was also the last one. <laughs> That's a good video titled The Last Sidewalk. Um. Yeah. Let me, let me let me let me just say two more things. Yeah. And, and some of these actually work fine here, but they were also going to go in the nitpicking section at the very beginning of this podcast. <laughs> okay. um, number one, um, I really, really don't like being uh, a prescriptivist. Um, I don't like being the kind of linguist or English teacher who wants to go around telling everybody to use perfect grammar uh, and capitalize their 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 letters correctly and so on um i really don't like pointing out uh when people use the wrong your or the wrong there uh publicly because all that does is just promote shame and that's really terrible just because i've had the good fortune to go to school for a lot of years and become very educated doesn't mean that i should go around lampooning other people who haven't had that opportunity so I really, really try to avoid prescriptivism. However, certain things stick in my craw, and one of them is uh, textbook. And and this isn't me coming down the mountain at you. It's just me making the point that calling calling Dustin Latimer's uh, uh, outspin front Nugan uh, textbook um, is bad because number one. It seems like a contradiction to the entire spirit of mushroom blading because y'all are like antithetical to the textbook existing. Number two, there is no actual textbook. And I think that you could do just as well by saying that Dustin Latimer, in one of the old videos, I forget which one you said it was in, uh, did an outspin front Nugan and it was exquisite. <laughs> I wouldn't and use just, that term. Just but... say exquisite. Because it was exquisite. But don't say textbook, because there isn't a textbook. And you guys, of all the people in the world, are the guys saying, fuck you and your notions of a textbook. If I don't want to ride 55-millimeter wheels anti-rocker, I'm not going to fucking do it. Because I respect myself and my choices and my opinions, and I'm going to do it how I want. And that's what's great about you guys. That's what's totally great. That that you you have you have created, and and been part of, um, a lot of changes, and you know the 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 power blading the big wheels. There's a lot of people contributing to this, but you guys are definitely in there making contributions, and that's valuable. And you're throwing out the textbook, and so it it, it like rattled around in my head 
that 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 Joey McGarry would say that this this outspin front Nugent was textbook. It just it just it it rang in my ears to hear you say that. I I can pinpoint exactly where I heard that and uh, my reference point, whether it's right or wrong. I heard a sports announcer say it once when I was really young, uh-huh. and I just attach it to things. It was a really nice play in hockey, uh-huh. and uh, I think he said that was a textbook shot or pass, or he just used the term textbook, and uh-huh. it was the way that the play looked on the television with the right. announcer saying it. That uh, And I may have fucking read it in a Daily Bread somewhere in a caption. Uh-huh. Possibly a Julio trick. So I relate those two. And yep. then there's something about the play and then seeing a caption and then relating it to, oh, I'm seeing a perfect grind. Something in my files in my brain just pulls out textbook. And I don't necessarily have... Um, that's all I have for the reference point is that I use it without really thinking too much yeah. about it. So I understand. I well, understand. see, the, the difference to me is that in hockey, there could be a textbook. I don't think so, though, because it's not like the, the puck. It's not like, I don't know, some, some mushroom blading kind of shit can happen in hockey, kind of. Like some oh, no, ama- like, like yeah, quick turns and wall rides and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> I totally agree. I've done wall rides. No, like in a hockey game for real. Yeah, you can. You can push against with one skate. You can spin. Uh, I don't know. So you can't. Like if if a guy, I don't know. Yeah, that's how I used it. And then um. And then oh, the other thing is that I think I'm starting to have uh two uh two distinct sides and i do think that i'm going to appreciate the canonical side uh-huh. of skating more yeah um but explore the other side and i think i talked about that on the podcast you did you did quite a bit and and i really really like uh the the joe gary alter ego i really really like that idea the thing that that seems to be a stumbling block for me um and this is kind of where you ended the last podcast was talking about whether or not there was a way to find a middle ground where there could be a perfect uh, uh, frame set up either for you or for somebody else um, or whatever that, that sort of wedded together these perfect aspects of all these things. And, and everybody who's been paying attention in rollerblading will say that the perfect frame has been the holy grail of skate design for the last 20 years. And I don't see the impulse to to want that kind of frame because we've tried and tried and tried. You look at everything that Kaiser's done over the years, and they have tried just about every fucking idea you can shake a stick at. And I think that in some ways they would do better by sticking with some of their frames for longer and developing them more uh, the way you see like the the Fluid 1, the Fluid 2, the Fluid 3, the Fluid 4. They're really honing that in, and that's really awesome. Uh, the Level 1, the Level 2, the Level 3, I don't know if there's a Level 4 at this point, but I really, really like it um, that they are honing those ideas. Um, and, and I'm a little bit saddened when I feel like certain things, like the Element Frame, were tried, nobody bought it, nobody liked it, and they scratched it and got rid of it. 
that's kind of a bummer to me because I would like to see the element on its fourth round or its fifth round or its tenth round getting refined uh, over and over because I think that it could be really, really good. Um, but that that being said, I think that I, I would want to point out that there is uh, a dimension of you that is embracing the complication where you have created for yourself an alter ego who does aggressive skating, who does canonical aggressive skating in canonical aggressive skating skates. And then you have your other identity um, that does mushroom blading. And I think that there's an impulse in you that they're different and they have to be different. And I think that it's totally fine. There could be two. There might as well be two. Why not have two? Have three. I had a German professor in college, and he used to tell us that you live as many lives as you speak languages. And I think that rollerblading can be like that. That playing hockey is hilarious fun. Skating vert is hilarious fun. Skating on the sidewalk, walking the dog, doing kink rails, skating a mini ramp, skating a grind box. If you have hilarious fun doing all those things, do all those things. Because they're all as if they were different versions of you. And that's awesome. And there are so few things in the world that give you the opportunity to do that. Why would we turn our back on the one thing that we love the most that gives us that ability? It gives you the ability to live multiple lives. So, so embrace it, I say. Embrace it. Embrace it and, and be Joe Gary. And be Joey McGarry. And do... You ended the podcast saying that there was two directions you wanted to take skating in this year with the projects that you guys have coming up. And I just want to stand on my feet and clap my hands and say, do it. Because that's awesome. Thank you. Joe Gary would be stoked too. We're trying to get him on the podcast, but we'll see. That'd be rad. He's not, he's not, he's excited about like collaborating and using our channels to put out stuff, but it's just, there's been way too much, uh, wizard frame stuff. So yeah. We'll see. I don't know. Did he go skating? Did it snow? Uh, it was you yeah. Did weather the weather didn't work. He snow. he went skating this morning for a little bit. Uh-huh. I talked to him about the big frames. Um, he's not sure about doing the rocker thing. Uh-huh. Uh, completely yet. It was a little bit too severe. Yeah. Um, and he's not sure about seventy twos yet. Sixties uh-huh. might be. 60s and under, possibly. The groove, the grooves takes a little bit to get used to on those bigs, because uh-huh. um, of how tall the frames are. Mm-hmm. So, we'll see. But do you, do you and he wear the same size skate? Um, no. Joe Gary wears a nine, and then um, I wear like a eight or an eight and a half if I can get oh, into it mm-hmm. for a carbon boot. Yeah, y'all are right in that sweet spot where the skate's maximized for your foot. That's, yeah. That's great. I'm happy for y'all. Um, but both uh, Joey and Joe's foot are about a 10.5, so he downsizes a little bit. But the, I mean, with the K2 soft boot, you could you can squeeze in. So Yeah. Yeah. Um, but now, fuck. It's going to be tough. These, these Kaiser elements... Joe Gary might have to try them. It'll be. Uh, yeah, I'm curious about that because they make them, as far as I know, or at least what is available 
from I, I think that they only came in small and large. And I have a pair of the small ones uh, that I got from Mick Casals in Austin, not because I can use them, but because I can cannibalize the bolts from them. <laughs> um, and he was going to throw them away, and I'm like, no, 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 I want all those bolts. Give me, just give me, give me, give me, give me. Um, and so I have a pair of smalls, and I could measure them and tell you, but uh, the large ones. And you were saying before that you were you were very keen on trying a very long frame. The large ones are really, really long. The short ones are really pretty small. Um, I could. Um, I could take a photograph of each of them and send you a picture of them, but I'm going to assume that uh, you or Joe is going to want to try the longer ones. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, especially because he doesn't do... He's not going to be doing a lot of swivels. I see. Just pretty basic, fast, uh, yeah, simple grinds performed well. Uh-huh. That's, that's about it for now, at least. Excellent. No, no extra bullshit. Excellent. If you see him doing a swivel, it'll be a joke more than anything. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see though. Never know. Can I can I, I love out one more nitpicky thing? <laughs> yeah, and then and then we'll wrap it. And then I have a question at the very end. Okay. A okay. really open-ended this, one. This, this is this is really quick though. Uh, and this isn't this isn't even at you. It may be. I don't know, but I don't have a specific example uh, to levy this against you. But in general, people you misuse the word evolution all the time, and they misuse it in the following way: they use the word evolution to mean change, when that isn't at all what evolution means. No animal ever evolved in its own life. A species evolves over the course of multiple generations. So. No single thing in any real period of time can evolve. Anything can change in its own lifetime, but nothing, no individual organism can evolve in its own lifetime. And hearing about various things in skating that have evolved, uh, or, or any, any other thing, people on the news, on the TV, everywhere, misuse the word all the time, and it's absolutely... Uh, uh, excruciating uh, to listen to people who are trying to make a valid point um, trip over themselves so badly by demonstrating that they don't know the meaning of the words that they're using. Uh, did Shane Coburn use it properly when he said you now have the right to evolve? Um, um, no, no, because you can't evolve. <laughs> well, fuck, no how about can. that, hey? You can you can you can you can have kids who are different from you and they will be different and that difference might be evolution. In fact that difference is evolution. Um, um, individuals don't evolve. Species evolve. Generations evolve by changing. That so if you want to if you want to say that something has changed um, in some significant way, just say changed. Don't say evolved, it's wrong. Just say changed. Yeah. And that's a good reminder of the uh, the Zoolander voice game. Any um, Shane Coburn, Shadow, or uh, mind game ads that you see in old magazines, uh, read them in a Zoolander voice, and <laughs> they're always awesome and entertaining. That's awesome. Okay, so yeah, that, I don't know, I don't know why tonight I decided to, to go out on a witch hunt against textbook and evolution. 
Uh, I try very hard not to be a prescriptivist and to go around telling people what to say and what not to say. Um, but those two just, they just ring in my head sometimes. And tonight was the night to lash out, I guess. Okay. Well, that we'll wrap it with this then. So for someone like myself, who I, I sometimes just fill open space by thinking out loud with words um, and sometimes can be hard to follow because I'm a visual thinker. So I might even be seeing things and I'm not, I'm not saying the visuals. I'm forgetting extra bits of information that I need to tell a person while I'm explaining something or telling a story. And then, and then I'll throw in words without thinking. Um, and this is how I communicate. What are some tips for someone like myself who may just be throwing out words okay. without uh, thinking too much? Okay. Uh, the Romans, who were terrific rhetoricians, um, among them was Cicero uh, and Quintilian and many, many others, who contributed many valuable things to the, um, to the discipline. And one of the, one of the terrific insights that they had um, uh, was, was a, a means of memorizing their speeches. And since they weren't memorized as, as a perfect sequence of words, uh, what they were memorizing was a a sequence of points that they wanted to make, and they weren't focusing on uh, the specific wording of the entire speech. They just knew that they wanted to make these basic points, um, and they wanted to talk about them in, in certain specific ways. Um, so what they would do is they would uh, go over the ideas that they were going to talk about in their speech, while they were on a walk, they would either walk through their house or walk through a room or walk through a garden or walk through anywhere um, that, that they knew that they were familiar with. Um, and what they would do is they would make a mental note of which part um, of the garden they were in when they were talking about that specific uh, topic. So if I know that I want to talk about Montre Livingston at some point in the in the in the in the conversation, I make a mental note of uh, if I'm walking um, it through my house, and I'm going to make that point. Let's say a third of the way through the podcast, where am I in the house? And I can think to myself, um, I'm in the dining room now. So what am I supposed to be talking about right now? And if I were thinking about Montre and the VOD business um, when I was passing through the living room, I can more easily recall that when I'm standing up and doing my podcast or doing my speech, if I visually uh, imagine myself walking through my house and recalling what topics were going on at what point during my walk. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think so, uh, it keeps your points more concise as well. So yeah, so so what I would encourage you to do if you're if you're struggling with that is to go on a walk around your street or around your neighborhood or whatever, uh, and think of the points that you would like to address. You don't have to have them in perfect detail. Just think, oh, I want to talk about Anna Rocker at some point. I want to talk about Woodward at some point. I want to talk about Mike Falcone or whoever, um, Josh Petty. And, and then go on your walk and think about those things and pay attention to sur your surroundings and make a mental note of when you were thinking about Montre Livingston, what part of your street were you on? 
where you buy the big tree, where you buy the stop sign, where you buy your house, wherever you were, make a quick mental note of that. And then uh, when you're doing the podcast, um, you can you can stroll back through your mind. And if you're saying you're you're kind of a visual person, imagine in your head, where were you? And how far along the walk are you? And even if you go out of order, you can say, oh, no, I was thinking about this when I walked by the gas station. Yeah. And so having having a, a, a visual component to your memory, um, you might find useful. The Romans uh, certainly did, and they did a very good job with it. I like it. Yeah, the last solo cast, I didn't have as much uh, or as many uh, notes written down. Usually I'm a little bit more organized, and I hadn't done any exercise which is where um, I kind of do that. Yeah, things get really clear if you're doing some type of movement and then you write everything down that you thought about. And then somehow when you speak it out loud, if you have really good notes, uh-huh. you can tie it together. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of the times, yeah. So that's good though. I like that. It's, it's a pretty tried and true method and people have been using it for two and a half thousand years. I love it, um, and I'll practice it. I promise my solo cast will uh, be more careful. Hey, do you still hear? I got a piece so bad, but one more thing: Do you still uh, hear people saying um, "taking it seriously" or "don't take it seriously" a lot? Um, I hear it quite a bit. I I, I kind of hear it all over. Um, so it's not like any one specific group of of rollerbladers or academics or non rollerbladers or non academics. Um, go around wildly saying that um, it's it's ambient, it's ambient in the culture. I mean, it's it's like saying um. Everybody says it. There's nothing that can be done. There's no fighting it. It's like the tide. <laughs> yeah, because I notice it. I think about you every time I hear it now, and uh, and it's more often. So you you've officially attached yourself to that to that term. Wow, I live in your skull. <laughs> yeah. How about that? Yeah, like and part. and now um, probably um, textbook, and uh, we'll see. We'll see with evolve. I feel like I'm gonna overuse that for quite some time before yeah. I attach you to it. But textbook, um, I'll be more careful with that one. I think now. So you'll you'll live you'll live in my skull with a few different words. I mean. This is the thing, you know, uh, uh, words change their meaning because people use them differently. Uh, and this, is, this has happened so many times over the course of a language. Uh, words become obsolete. Uh, words become, you know, totally uh, detached from their referent. You know, people say the expression, toe the line. Most people think it means to walk delicately around a line and do not pass it. Um, and it's not spelled T-O-E, it's spelled T-O-W. And it has to do with England having canals that you used to put a strap around yourself and tow a boat down a canal. And so to tow the line means to carry the heavy burden rather than to prance delicately around a line that cannot be crossed. But so many people have used or misused, if you like, that term over the centuries that there is now an expression called to tow the line. And it's spelled T-O-E, the line. And it means wait for it, to walk delicately around a line that cannot be crossed. So it's not that language has to stay any particular way. Uh, language changes all the time. And as linguists, it should be our job um, 
to pay attention to what people are saying rather than how it ought to be said. So that's the main reason why I try to avoid it. But some of these things really just stick in my craw. And, and when I have the opportunity to publicly lash out uh, once in a while, I avail myself of that. Well, definitely do it more in the future, too, because it makes for interesting uh, podcasts. Yeah, but it's just, it's, 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 we, we can do, maybe we'll do another podcast and I'll spend more time talking about exactly how problematic doing that is. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, you're a regular guest now, pretty much. I don't even know which number this is with you, so we'll have you on again. Definitely. Probably in about 10 episodes. That seems to is be that, about my, my average. That's a, that's a good one. So, so yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me on. I apologize if I was a little bit ranty this evening. Um, but I, I, as always, appreciate the time talking to you. I appreciate our audience taking the time to listen to us. Um, and I and I look forward to doing it again. Me too. Thanks, Frank. And have a excellent night. Thanks, Joe. You too. Bye. Okay, bye.